I was really struggling this year as I was contemplating what I was going to preach on for Advent. This is my 41st Advent with you. Advent uh, is that uh, period of four weeks prior to Christmas in which we anticipate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means I have already preached 160 Christmas messages. Quite frankly, it was getting difficult to come up with something new and different for a Christmas series. To keep the Christmas message fresh so that we don't all sound a same. I was racking my brain to try to find a different approach or angle to take upon the Christmas story, not simply to be novel, but rather in seeking to do justice to the magnificence of the incarnation. We don't want to lose our sense of awe, wonder, and joy of Christmas due to its familiarity. But I was getting nowhere. So I was actually contemplating on not doing an Advent series this year and just continuing on with Second Peter, but I didn't think that was appropriate either. So I was praying and asking God to show me something that was new and fresh because the incarnation is so important. It's at the very core of our beliefs. I decided to reread the book of John in its entirety. And as I was reading the book of John, I came upon John 6, 36, where Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I paused and meditated upon that simple phrase, I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. What is wrapped up in the idea that Jesus came down from heaven? What was he communicating to the crowd? What are we to understand when Jesus said, I have come down from heaven? That's an extremely rich and important phrase that's pregnant with meaning giving birth to a plethora of considerations. We find out that God has come down to us is the very essence of the Christmas story. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has indeed come down to us. The more I contemplated the fullness of this verse, the more excited I actually became. I went away from having nothing to say to being really anxious to have the opportunity to talk with you about this great subject of God coming down. I'm intending to preach four messages that focus upon the significance of God coming down to us. We're going to begin by looking at the Old Testament informing theology. That is, what do we learn from the Old Testament that's preparatory to help us better understand God's coming down to meet the needs of his people? To answer that question, we're going to begin by this week looking at Exodus chapter 3. I invite you to turn with me there if you're not there already. Exodus chapter 3. Key verses are verses 7 and 8, which read, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. 
I know their sufferings. And now here's our phrase, and I have come down. I have come down. In our narrative, God came down at the burning bush. But what are we to understand by his having come down? Well, we first begin with a consideration of what it means that God came down. In coming down, God manifests his presence to Moses. First and foremost, we need to understand that it is the very true and living God who came down to speak with Moses. God clearly reveals that he, that is God, is the one who is speaking to Moses. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now, we want to note a few things. First, the text informs us as readers that it was God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Verse 4, the Lord said, when he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Secondly, God reveals to Moses that the one speaking to Moses was the very living and true God, the one that previous generations had worshipped and served. Verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So the emphasis is that I am God. I am the one whom your fathers worshipped, the one that ministered to your fathers. Thirdly, Moses clearly recognized that he was indeed talking to God. For it tells us in verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and tells us why, for he was afraid to look at God. So Moses knew that he was in the very presence of God. He accepted that as truth. And then fourthly, God reveals that it is indeed God himself who has come down. Verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down. I, 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 I have come down. So once again, we ask the question, what does that mean, though, when he says to Moses, I have come down? <clears throat> Here we have what's referred to as an anthropomorphism, that is, when we speak of God in human terms to accommodate our limited understanding of who God really is. On the one hand, we know that God is omnipresent, meaning that he is present everywhere. There is no place where God is not. 
His coming down does not negate or even contradict the truth of his omnipresence. But there are two important distinctions that must be understood when we think about the being of God. The first is that God is transcendent. When we use the term that God is transcendent, we mean that God is above and apart, distinct from his creation. Totally unique, totally separate, totally different from his creation. He created all things. The second word to describe his being is the word imminent. And the word imminent means that God is involved with his creation. Even though God is distinct from his creation, he's not aloof from it. He is intricately, personally involved with all that he has created. God is far superior and separate from us, but God is not indifferent to us. To come down speaks of God's condescension. It speaks of God's humility. It speaks of God's encounter with us. God lowering himself, if you will, to be involved in our griefs and our struggles. God has fully involved himself in our world and all its experiences. I had a, a wonderful experience as a young child. The pastor of our church was a wonderful, tender-hearted, loving individual. And he was very faithful in visiting the congregation. He often went to people's homes. And one day, he came to our home. And he came primarily to visit me. Now, I was a very, very young child. He came to the house and said that he had come to talk to Calvin. My mother said he's out playing in the backyard. He found me sitting under a, my favorite tree where there was a large bare spot of ground. I'd established that plot as my make-believe farm. I was in the middle of my field, this big spot of ground underneath the tree, sitting playing with my toy tractor, moving dirt around, getting ready to pretend uh, to plant my pretend corn. Out comes the pastor, dressed in a coat and tie with dress pants, as pastors always did in those days. And to my surprise, the pastor came over and he actually sat down in the dirt next to me. And he started playing with one of my tractors that was lying there, pushing the dirt around. And as he did, I was just kind of taken back. Even as a young child, I knew that that was pretty unusual. I also knew you're not supposed to get your good clothes dirty. Okay, that, I had learned that. 
And here was this grown man sitting down to play with me in the dirt, all dressed up. He came down to be with me because he cared about me. And I will never forget his question to me was, Calvin, do you love Jesus? Calvin, do you love Jesus? How infinitely more amazing and wonderful that God of heaven would come down to be with us in our sin-ridden world. This place so dirty in order to speak to and to minister to us. The Christmas message is that God has come down to us, not in the form of a burning bush, but by entering into the world of humanity, by identifying and participating with us. God has come down to us in a far deeper, richer, fuller, more magnificent way than he ever came down before. Now we don't simply have a metaphor or a symbol, but now we have a reality. The very fullness of God in his abiding presence entering into our world. God came down to us by taking upon himself flesh. He became a human being, even as Pastor Cruz referred to this morning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Jesus, God, in the very fullest sense, is with us. For I came down from heaven. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And now that Word that was God and was with God, we're told in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians tells us, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He has come down to us. God in the flesh. Let's consider the motivation. The motivation. What motivated God to come down? First, what motivated God in coming down in Exodus 3? And then secondly, what motivated God to come down through the incarnation? Well, the answer is God was motivated to come down out of a genuine care and concern for his people in their miserable plight. In this text, we have a threefold description of God's care and concern for his people in their miserable condition. God's care and concern for his people is communicated in the words, I have seen, verse 7. Then the Lord said, 
I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have surely seen. Could also be translated, I indeed have seen. It involves the Hebrew infinitive absolute, which connotes the sense that I have carefully watched, or I have paid very close attention to. It speaks of God's intensity of the way in which he looks upon his people. Our miseries and heartaches do not go unnoticed by God. They are in plain view and are ever before him. He sees. He sees. He's aware. But he is fully aware. How aware is he? Psalm 56.6 says, You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. And they are written in your book. Those nights in which we lay awake and we can't sleep, and we tossed to and fro, the scripture says that, that God counts how many times we roll over in bed. He thinks about our anxieties, our cares, our worries, our hurts, our frustrations, our fears, our inadequacies, our inconsistencies our lack of understanding, awareness of our frailty. He sees it all. Secondly, God's care and concern for his people is communicated in the words, I have heard, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And now these words, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Their taskmasters were cruel oppressors. By this time, the Israelites had become slaves in Egypt. And earlier in Exodus chapter 2, we have a description of the situation in which they're in. Exodus 2.23 reads, During these many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned, because of their slavery, and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. This is a, a repeated theme in the book of Exodus, that God hears the groaning of his people. Our text, verse 7, God hears their cry because of their taskmasters. Psalm 34, 17 says, when the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears. The Lord hears. He listens. God's care for his people is communicated in the words, I know their sufferings. Verse 7. Last phrase. I know their, their sufferings. He understands 
our anguish in all that we are enduring. But it goes far beyond a sense of simple knowledge or awareness. The word for know is a, is a word that speaks of an experiential knowledge. He gets it. But more than just simply understanding in the sense of even getting it, it has the connotation of experiencing, of completely identifying with it, so that he actually enters into the pains and heartaches of his people. He is grieved. He is pained by our hurts and by our sorrows. They touch him. And so we find out that Jesus becomes the man of sorrows and is acquainted with our griefs. He actually enters into our suffering. He experiences our suffering. He is in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus in his earthly ministry surrounds himself with the sick, the hungry, the poor, the needy, the outcast, and the one who is spiritually tormented by the evil one. And, of course, the great entering into our suffering and heartache is Jesus hanging upon the cross, denied and forsaken by his disciples, bears the humiliation, bears the mockery, the taunting, the ridicule of the crowd of which we are deserving and actually endures the very wrath of the Father on our behalf in our place. He enters into our suffering. And coming down, God is the one who is responsive to all that his people are going through. He says in verse 9, Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. But the word for, for come is a very interesting word. There are so many different words for come in the Hebrew. Better translated is the way the NIV treats it when it says, now, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, has reached me. There are two connotations in saying that the cries of his people has reached him. The one connotation is that God is so far above us, so, so high, so lifted up, so, so exalted, that there's this huge chasm between us. That there's this incredible distance 
that would have to be traveled for those voices to be heard. But even though God is so high and exalted, so far and distant from us, he's still able to hear our cries. He is still able to be reached. The second connotation is not only that he hears, but that he's touched by them. To be reached speaks of the emotive response that he has. They were received and they were met with a compassionate response from God. God heard the cries of his people. And God said, I must do something about that. God couldn't be indifferent and was not indifferent. God had to response because of the love and the care and the mercy and the concern he has for his people. He was moved. And what he was moved to do was to come down. To enter into that suffering, to enter into that world, to enter into that situation. He had come down to meet the needs of these people. The purpose of God's coming down was to deliver his people. God has come down in the book of Exodus to free his people from their cruel slavery. Look at verse 8, where the purpose is revealed. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to take them away from the bondage, their slavery, that the Egyptians had placed upon him. In the incarnation, Christ came down to set us free from the cruel bondage of sin. Early on in his ministry, in the synagogue, Jesus read from the words of the scroll of Isaiah. And he read the portion which reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Exodus, God came down to remove the Israelites from the land of slavery and misery. It says in verse 8, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land. So too in the Incarnation, God has come down in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to remove us from this bondage and misery of living in a fallen world. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, and then it says this, to deliver us from this present evil age. It's an interesting description, to deliver us from this present evil age. The Egyptians were cruel taskmasters, and the Israelites were not only under their bondage, but they were also under their, their influence. And God had come down not only to free them, but actually to take them out of that land. And we find out that Jesus Christ came into this world not only to free us, but actually to take us out of this present evil age. Talking about all the misery, all the hardship, all the difficulty that we experience in this sin-ridden, fallen world. This place is a mess. This place is filled with heartache, crime, disease, hatred, oppression. It is a sin-sick world that we live in. And he came to deliver us from this sin-sick world. In Exodus, God came down to bring his people to a blessed place. Tells us in verse 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good land, broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He was taking them out of that place of bondage and misery and heartache and going to take them to a good land. A land that he describes in three ways. First, a good land. A good in the sense that it was agreeable, desirable, beautiful, pleasant. Secondly, it is a broad land in verse 8. Broad meaning to be a spacious land where there would be plenty of room for them to grow and to prosper. It is described as a land flowing with milk and honey. That is, that it is a land that is sustainable, that meets all of their needs, and meets them in the most pleasant and desirable manner. So too, in the incarnation, God has come down to take us to a good place, a place that is large enough. It's a broad land. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. There's plenty of place for you. He came down to take us to a place of complete deliverance. In Revelation chapter 21, we have this depiction. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth passed away. 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The the new Jerusalem is, is pictured as the capital of the kingdom. And God's kingdom is coming down out of heaven. It's the ultimate fulfillment of God coming down. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth and God actually comes down forever. His dwelling place is with man. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. You can rely upon it. Experience will be transformed. Revelation goes on to describe this place in far more detail. But most gloriously is that God dwells with us. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And notice the emphasis. The emphasis is not that the dwelling place of man is with God. It's that the God, the dwelling place of God, is with man. That place to which he takes us is a place that is fitting for God. And he comes down to share that existence with us. The great essence of Christmas is that God has come down to us. We started by today looking at the essential elements of understanding this concept that God has come down to us. And the essential elements are these. Number one, that it is the true God who comes down. That is consistent in the scriptures. God coming down. God comes down and manifests his presence in a burning bush. In the incarnation, God comes down and manifests his person in a human being, in Jesus Christ, in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells. The second essential element is that that which motivates God is the compassion that he has on the plight of his people 
And we see that repeatedly through the scriptures of God coming down to meet the plight of his people. And that is why Jesus comes down from heaven to meet the sinful plight that we are experiencing. That we might know the forgiveness of sin, that we might know the deliverance from the power of sin, and that we'd even know the deliverance from the very presence of sin. That all of the corruption, all of the consequences of sin will be totally removed, not just from us, but from all creation. Romans tells us that the whole earth groans. But God is a God who hears the groans. And all of creation is groaning and waiting for that day of redemption when he makes all things new. This is just the first layer of the onion. This is the outermost layer. In the next three weeks, we're going to just keep peeling these layers back. That we might stand in awe as we think about the God who comes down to us. Nothing demonstrates more God's willingness to help us than his coming down to us. There can be no doubt of God's love and concern when we think about Jesus and the incarnation. Each week, we're going to look more and more getting to the core. Today is just the beginning. We have yet to plumb the depths of these glorious, magnificent, and joyful Christmas truths. But let us pray that God would minister to our hearts and minds, giving us a greater comprehension of this world-changing event of Jesus coming into the world. May God fill our hearts with praise, adoration, thanksgiving, comfort, hope, confidence, peace, and rejoicing as we meditate on God coming down to us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that indeed you have come down to us. Lord, give us a greater apprehension, a greater appreciation to understand the care, the concern, the love that motivates you to hear of our groanings, our heartaches, our misery, and you have come down to deliver us. We long for that ultimate and final deliverance that is going to be experienced when you actually come down and establish your kingdom on this earth, the new Jerusalem, the capital the place where you dwell. And you come down to dwell with us. Thank you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.